Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion, unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You must have passed out. You don't remember doing so, but you found yourself suddenly awake, gasping for air like born-again roadkill. You had to peel yourself from the computer chair, and when you went to the bathroom mirror, desperate for water for your sandpaper-dry mouth, you saw there was blood there, gathered in the folds and the cracked skin of your lips. You peeled them back and saw more blood caked around your gums, old and dark. You drank water and tried to brush your teeth, but they ached so bad, they felt loose in the gums, like they might be working their way out of you. Were they trying to leave? Were you becoming undone teeth first? Were the veins in your wrists one out next, pulling loose and unstitching you from the inside? You drank more water, went back to your bedroom. Through the window you saw the moon and the stars above, but there was a hint of sunlight on the horizon. Time was moving strangely, faster than it should be. Back at the computer you sat down, wiggled the mouse. You scrolled up and down the Reddit post, saw there were more comments now, more of those half-finished sentences. I don't think this is fun. Does anybody know who may really? I remember the toy factor, 
As you read, you scratched the backs of your hands, rubbed the scabby sleep from your eyes. You had to go on, you knew it. It wasn't even a choice anymore. The next file was called... Chancy. With a deep, wheezy breath, you clicked play. As before, it returned. The hiss. The hiss that acted as a carrier. A carrier for the music, the voices, and the images. You tried to keep your eyes open, but you couldn't. They closed all on their own, sealed up tight like scared mollusks. On the backs of your eyelids, you saw the folds of red skin and the moving lights and shapes. They opened like curtains and you saw the TV set. But this time it was empty. There was the fake snow, of course, and the trees and the little toy workshop. But no silly belly, no werewolf, no peak or boo, and no chancy. You waited to hear the narrator speak to introduce today's show, today's lesson for the children. But there was no voice, no lesson. A shadow fell over the forest like a vast cloud and you heard the faintest sound of breathing. There was a person. Not in this show, a real life person stood up, maybe behind the camera or maybe next to it. But they were there and they were breathing and they were fading. All of it was. Fading back into the hiss until there was May again. I'm stuck here, aren't I? I'm sorry, Mum. I'm sorry, Dad, too, but in, in a different way. I'm sorry that I was going to leave you here. I'm sorry that I was going to leave and promise I'd be back and never return, leaving you like some kind of imaginary friend left behind to wither with the rest of my childhood memories. I'm, I'm sorry to you if you're listening to this, because I don't think I'm going to get out of here. Not after what I've seen, what I've um, experienced. And if you're somehow listening to this, I can only assume it means you found me, or my recordings. Which means you're here, in the toy factory. I'm just... Um, sorry. The torch finally broke, but at least I can see in here. There are those TVs just outside the window, and there are so many of them. Some of them stacked up on top of each other, playing that awful meat-cooking hiss sound. It was touch and go for a while, but uh, I've almost certainly lost my mind. I must have. Because if it hasn't, it means what I saw uh, since my last recording. It's all real. The doll. Either Little Miss Peek or, or Little Miss Boo, I, I don't know which one. They were in the dollhouse with me. I think they'd been there the whole time. After I'd finished playing back the camera footage from the Klein Bros, I heard that awful laughter. And then I looked at the little girl doll. As if guided by an invisible hand, its head moved. Its eyes found mine. It blinked. And then it smiled before getting to its feet, and it spoke to me. It asked me if I'd seen its sister. I shook my head, barely able to move, to breathe. My arms and legs suddenly didn't feel like my own. It walked towards me, and it looked at me. I heard as its eyes move, the glass of the eyes grating against the grains of wood. 
It smiled, but not a smile that a doll would make. Not a nice smile, but a pained smile, like it was being forced to smile but didn't want to. It walked awkwardly, kicking its legs out with each clumsy step, falling forward and righting itself with arms that could only move up or down, something not designed to move on its own, but finding new and unnatural ways to do so by necessity. It stood next to me, looked up at me as I was stuck there, trapped in under the weight of my panic. It reached its tiny hand out towards me, and I think maybe it wanted me to take it. Have you seen my sister? It said again, but I, I didn't take the hand and I didn't answer. The feeling came back to my arms and legs. I managed to stand up and, and so I left it there, and it simply watched with its hand still held out as I left the dollhouse. Its eyes followed me, never leaving me. That's when I saw another TV lit up ahead, and another toy sat next to it, watching the right noise. And when I reached that one, another TV further up switched on. And then another, and then another. Just like with Jason Thacker, the TVs led me deeper inside. Into rooms where there were no props, no painted walls, and no furniture whatsoever. Just cold walls and empty pipes and rust. The, 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 the real factory, I guess. The factory hidden behind the glamour of the amusement park. I, I didn't want to follow them. If anything, I wanted to go the other way. To get out. But there was something behind me. I saw it in the shadows at first. Small and distant. But it reached out and didn't stop reaching. It chuckled as it reached out towards me, its hands swimming through the air like eels through water. I backed away and it broke into a freakish run, pulsing and worming along the floor, body and face shuddering violently. I ran, from TV to TV and eventually out into the courtyard. I saw it. The tree. It hurt my head to look, so I didn't. I kept my eyes down. Stepped over exposed roots spilling out through the floor and found the workshop. The real workshop. The thing with the long arms and legs, who I now saw was touchy-feely, emerged through the door into the courtyard. It extended its limbs fully and lifted its body maybe fifteen foot into the air. It looked almost like a huge, long-legged insect. Its small face looked down at me and its ears began to shake. Its hand moved along the floor, slow at first, and snapped through the air towards me. I went into the workshop, slammed the door shut behind me, and locked it with the latch. Watched as touchy-feely disappeared into the tree branches. That's where I am now. I've been here for a while. I can't leave because they're outside. Not just touchy-feely and not just the dolls. But there are more and more every time I look. I, I can see them through the smudged glass. See more little ones moving across the gravel and mud and writhing through the exposed roots like insects. Half lit by the TVs. 
I'm never going to be able to leave. Am I? I'm going to be stuck here. Till I die. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mum. I'm so sorry. There's a toy in here. It's not finished, I don't think. It's a chunk of wood locked into some kind of vice and someone's been shaving the wood. Carving out a face. I can just about make out where the mouth will be and the eyes. I touched it and it moved. Chancy kept a lot of diaries. Uh, one of the walls in here is just stacks of them. Floor to ceiling. Uh, here. This entry says it's from um, 1948. 11th October. It beggars belief. An enigma of confounding proportions. A riddle of the almighty deities. Today we search for the impossible gift. The totem of the mythical. My fingers, they tingle. My Saharan throat constricts with excitement. Onward, dear William. Today, the Bowden Worsley brothers make history. Fourth October. Though it has been years since I have kept a journal, dear God, how long has it been? Today I find myself reigniting the habit as I stare at the yellowing pages of the moleskin father bought me after his academic trip to Madagascar some years hence. Pages crackling delicate like insect wings. I find myself overwhelmed with nostalgia and memory. It's a strange thing to link smell to imagery. How dust can cause our neurons to fire and remember Christmas's long past, the antics of our forebears and the mechanisms of china dolls. The brittle plastic and the cool touch of artificial hair can pull the cheeks and send us back to our childhood. For that's all the childhood seems to be. For me, at least. As the years toll away and the world continues its rotations, I find myself lost in trances of that which I failed to collect. Regrets and sorrows that weigh the stomach and line the throat in acid. The ghosts of figures and figurines which hypnotized and captured our youth from television sets and boasted experiences of joy that failed to grasp. Such a shame. So many years I could have had with the sergeant generals and the clockwork pinballs. The string fascinations and the whirling doodads. A life of play and wonder. Taken so coolly as the larvae of childhood wraps itself into the teenage cocoon before shattering its skin and unfolding its wings of adulthood. Play, now substituted with toil and employment. A sick feeling in the stomach of what once was and never will be again. At least, that's what I originally believed. William doesn't believe me. 
He doesn't listen as well as he once did. His chin now prickled with copper hair, his ears plugged with doughy fingers, eyes and mind set on the girl of his dreams. Susan Tylen. I shudder at the thought of it. To give up your life in the service of a woman. Chaotic things they are. Uncontrollable creatures of spontaneity and emotion. Not like the dolls. Not like the toys. It has been some years since I last let William through my front door. And sitting here now under the buttery flicker of the candlelight, I wonder if I made the right decision to change that today. Upon entry, his eyes widen, locked onto the collection of toys and trinkets of all calibers, decorating the shelves which line every inch of my abode, the Museum of Nostalgia and Kindergarten. An ode to the great wonders of art, which span the continents and echo the dying laughter of children who once played with each of them. I beamed with pride, arm around William's neck. William shrank away, brow creasing. Yet what was there to concern himself with? What was there to deliberate and muse on? We all have our foibles. We all have our passions. William plays football, pretends he never spent days beneath father's desk with me, decorating the wooden cavern of our imaginings. He ignores the hours spent catching the ball in the cup and spinning the tops. Days spent in front of the television, watching the black and whites of Andy Pandy and Bill and Ben as they frolicked around the garden and span themselves webs of mischief. It's all I've ever wanted. An eternity of playtime. The best years of my life were spent in childhood. Adulthood cruelly crept upon us, stole our light, puffed the candle, quelled the flame. No longer. As I watched William stumble away, slight lilt to his lean under the power of the warm beverage I served, I wonder what he'll make of my discovery. His eyes only briefly flickered to the weathered, tea-stained map laid out on the table in the drawing room. That's all I needed. A glimpse. A glance. To begin the journey to the impossible. 5th October. Iridios. Even the mere mention of the name sends tingles down my spine. Plant seeds of possibility in my grey matter. A tree of great fortune. William laughs at me. His words speak disbelief. The darkness behind his eyes speaks hope. He's caught between two worlds. Civilized and conditioned responsibility versus the youthful figure of imagination and wonder. We never snapped out of it, not really. I see the excitement in his eyes at the mention of children with Susan. To have a way to play with the toys again. It's not for them. It's for him. I know this much, even if she never will. It's all evident. He's been spending more time at mine each week, stopping by after work, fingering the trinkets. I watched him closely from my chair as he teased me with words softened at their edges, smiling with his heart. These would be wonderful for our child, he beamed, eyes foggy with wonder. 
just like when we were children. I glanced to his tea, just like when we were children. It's as he was leaving that he paused at the table. I placed it closer to the door, stationed one of his favorite pieces at its edge, drawing the eye. He frowned. I smiled a fly to the Venus teeth. He leaned closer, gaze dripping with lust, the rough sepia sketching of the great tree decorating the center of the map, a work of exquisite cartography that would later go down in history as the opening chapter of our impossible tale. That's it? he asked, voice soft with wonder. That's it. I don't know how long he stood there, silent, lost in avid joy. William left without a word. For now. The magic has taken. The hook has broken the skin. He'll be back. I cleared up our drinks and retired for the evening. All things according to plan. Thirteen October. A three-day trek to the countryside. Hard to believe that virgin forest still lingers in the worlds. Yet despite the contours and known regions of the map, we venture into the impossible. It's as though modern maps have forgotten the true stretch of land. Trees the color of emerald glass around us. Soil is rich as an Arabian prince muffles our footsteps. William is getting antsy. He talks of returning to Susan. It should never have taken this long. I tell him to stay the course. All good things come to those who wait. My own doubts rise. Fourteenth October. We should be there soon. How long is soon? I don't know. Voices whisper to me, speak of the tree. They speak to William, too. Neither of us say a word. My gut broils with a growing hatred for William, though I can't place my finger on why. Eighteenth October. The miracle giveth. I write with hands shaking like the leaves of the great towering tree. It's magnificent to behold. A work of ancient architecture. Upon each bough is sprouted a nut the size of a baseball, each leaf perfectly formed as a vivid in color as the richest of rainbows. Viridios, they call it, in layman's tongue. The tree of play, a court legend, the myth long lost in the dredges of writings and history, almost forgotten, discovered by the Bowden Worsley brothers of feet to behold for all time. A mark against our family name, one that I must carry to my grave and regale the tale to future generations. I am beside myself. The tree, it speaks, mutters in tongues of the earth, translated into the primitive corners of my mind. It knows me, hears my heart, and yearns to give an accomplice and ally to the quest of my dreams. It's joyous to hear its song, that of the angels of yore, a feeling of euphoric bliss passing over us both as we first spotted it through the brush. I ran. William ran. 
we skipped gaily in its presence, danced and sung its song at the entrance of its great trunk. Trunk without liquor, high without substance, celebrating the passage to the other. For there is an entrance, a doorway between worlds, one which yawns open into a cavernous void that beholds the very magic of each fiber of nut and seed and acorn. The doorway has spoken of on the page, one which grants dreams and realizes the visions of births, its commander of the treasure of the deepest corners of its soul. And in my arms now, some time since our first arrival, the evidence, a tear, drops from my eyes, a pearl of silver rolling down the smooth cheeks of the babe, cradled in the boughs of my arms. In the dewy wake of my tear shines the smooth skin of the doll, rough-hewn and not fully developed, a sea dropped before its time. I laugh, looking around the clearing for my brother, forgetting the circumstance, little believing that the sequence of events and how we ended up where we were, the tree... It's alive. The pages spoke truth. My dreams realized. On my arms are borne the marks of his struggle. Scratches of nail. The purples of growing bruises. In the clearing, his screams and protests were swallowed whole. Devoured by the trees, I wrestled him inward. Bringing him to the breach contract, roots shifting and squirming like serpents' tentacles until the grip around his arms and legs was total. It was the only way. The only way to quell the voice and release what should be mine. No kin of mine will ever take the fruits of my collection. No kin of mine will ever mock the intent and demean my way of living. This is the only way we can survive forever. The only way I control our destiny and forge a new path ahead. It was the only way. 27th October. He is finished. I presented him to the tree, holding him aloft with pride, completing the cycle. A finished product. Perfection encapsulated. After his disappearance into the bow, I worried that William would be gone forever. Guilt will trap you no matter what the voice of the tree says until evidence shows contrary to your fears. The seedling had sprouted on the lowest branch, close enough for me to reach when ready. It buttered into a round blob the eyes slowly taking shape before the nose, mouth, and ears, the seeds swelling into the shape of the doll, eyes closed tight, as though granting a peek inside the womb. Four hours it took to take form. The tree directed me to an old shack nearby, filled with items I'd need. I crafted and molded and sculpted, ignoring the pained cries of my baby doll brother. Until perfection was achieved and I took the final saw of my glistening forehead with my sleeve. Now, an indeterminate amount of time later, I stand before the tree, 
I placed the doll down, expecting it to mimic that of my other dolls to flop and fall without support. The doll stands. William, reborn. It bows to the tree, then spins to me, fingers grabbing as if requesting I pick it up. My baby boy, you silly Billy, I mutter, potential and wonder circling inside my head. Silly Billy, the boy repeats. It's still nighttime outside. How is it still nighttime? There are more of them now. Lots and lots of toys. All shapes and sizes. All stood facing the tree. I can just make out their silhouettes against the TV light. It's like some kind of strange sermon. Are they listening to the tree? Are they hearing something that I'm not? Wait. There's someone outside. Somebody who's not a toy. I can't quite make him out, but, but it's him. Oh, God. He's looking at me. They all are. The toys. They're all turning their heads to look at me. Hundreds. Reflected starlight in their tiny eyes. So many. All looking at me. Waiting for something. I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Mum. It's time. In the hiss you are returned to the theatre of your mind, broadcasted from somewhere else that isn't where you are. Another universe perhaps, quantum roots and branches of networks reaching through the ether and directly attaching to your head, rearranging your thoughts into curtains into a stage into a TV show from somewhere else. On that stage there are familiar elements, the wintry forest, the workshop, and the tree with the face, the green man, Viridios. Your thoughts glitch, feels like a dentist drill hitting a nerve in your teeth. When the pain recedes there are characters on the set. Silly Billy, Werewolf, Little Miss Boo and Little Miss Peek, Grandpa and even Touchy Feely. They are holding hands around the tree, swaying gently left to right. Another glitch, another drill bit catching against nerves. You wince as Chansey appeared on the left side of the screen. In jerky plasticine motion, he walked towards the dancing toys, but he wasn't alone. He was holding hands with another plasticine model, this one a little shorter, a black shirt and blue trousers, and red plasticine hair reaching its shoulders. You knew that it was May. You watched as Chansey walked May towards the tree. They stopped dancing, the other characters. They let go of each of his hands allowed a space for May to walk through all on her own. 
The little model of May stood before the tree with the face. The tree with the face opened its mouth and from its mouth there was more pain, terror. The toys don't exist. The toys come with a lifetime guarantee. The toys, the toys. May climbed inside the mouth and the tree swallowed her up. We hope you enjoyed your trip to the Toy Factory today. This audio experience was pieced together by the Hawk and Cleaver Story Studio and its wider community, which includes a splattering of writers, a screaming of narrators, some maniacal musicians, eldritch art makers, scalpel-wielding quality control specialists, and a pair of demonic community admins, all of whom live in an abandoned office block which was somehow transported to a hell dimension after someone got a Hellraiser puzzle box for their last secret center. If you're enjoying The Toy Factory, please note that you can get an extra episode by becoming a patron or subscribing to the other stories with an Apple Podcast Premium subscription. To find out more and to join our Discord community, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Cleaver. There you'll get to chat with the Hawk and Cleaver team and also help support us for more Halloween specials for years to come. On top of all that, limited Toy Factory merch will be available over at www.theotherstories.net forward slash The Toy Factory. The Toy Factory was conceived by Luke Condor and written by Luke Condor and Daniel Wilcox. For more of Luke's work, head to lukecondor.com and for more of Daniel's work, head to danielwilcox.com. The audio was stitched, massaged and digitally distorted by the audio wizard himself, Carl Hughes. Follow Carl at twitter.com forward slash Carl Hughes. Georgia Cook plays the role of May. For more, head to georgiacookwriter.com. Justin Fife plays the role of Master Chansey. He can be found at twitter.com forward slash Justin B. Fife. Josh Curran and Manny Realguy play the Thacker Brothers. Follow Josh on twitter.com forward slash jcurranwriter. Manny Realguy, however, cannot be followed by any conventional means. But speaking of unconventional, Manny Realguy also performs the role of Oak 55. The listener's background music was created by Birds of Paradise. Check them out at facebook.com forward slash birdsofparadisemtl. Some of the factory music was created by Clankbeald. Check them out at freesound.org slash people slash clankbeald. Other various effects such as tape noise, distortion and many more provided by the great community over at freesound.org. We'd also like to thank the Hawking Cleaver community members who forced, I mean politely, asked their children to lend their voices to the toys including Jimmy Johnson, Sonny Real Guy and others. The graphics were handled by our master of social media toy making, Ben Errington. Follow him at twitter.com forward slash Ben underscore Errington. This year's chilling cover artwork was created by the one and only Matt Seth Barnes. Find more of Matt's work at mattsethbarnes.com. Hey, did you know that Halloween specials have been a tradition for the Hawk and Cleaver team for several years now? Well, if you need more Halloween audio treats in your life now or in the future, then don't worry, dear listener, because we have you covered. Simply search for The Nest, The Halloween Horrors of Old Mill Lane, or The Witching Hour in your podcast application of choice. The Toy Factory is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which of course means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means, share the hell out of it. Until next time, next time, next time, next time, next time, next time, next time.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.